heaven, we thank you that you are reigning on your throne in heaven and the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Lord, we join with the chorus of angels and the elders and the living creatures. And God, you are holy and you call us to be holy and you made a way for us to be holy through the blood of Christ, living sanctified, holy and dedicated lives to you. Lord, transform us and change us this morning in worship as, Lord, we continue to honor you and worship you through the study of your word. In the mighty name, the name that's above all names, we pray your name, Lord Jesus. All God's people said, amen and amen. You may have a seat. And you can turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Peter. And if you don't have your Bible with you, We'll have the verses up on the screen, but we highly, highly, highly encourage you to bring your Bibles. We study at Calvary Chapel. We go verse by verse through the Bible, and we encourage everyone to break out their Bibles, break out their notes, and uh, study the Word. But in case you don't have it, the words will be up on the screen. This morning, we are beginning a new book, Second Peter. We're beginning the uh, Peter's second epistle, and... Uh, we just finished our verse-by-verse study of First Epistle. The theme of First, Pe- First Peter, the theme of First Peter was Peter was warning the believers of persecution and suffering to come. That was the entire theme of First Peter. Now we move into Second Peter, and the theme of Second Peter is Peter is warning the Christians of false teachers. That's this entire book. If you want, if you want a go-to book on how to be. Uh, aware of false teaching, how to uh, combat, combat and, and reject false teaching, find no better book to go to than Second Peter. When Peter wrote the letter, uh, this letter, Second Peter, there was an all-out assault on Christianity in the first century. Within 50 years of the gospel being established in the earth, it was under major attack, as it is today. Many of the Christian beliefs and practices and what the Word of God teaches is, is under attack today. So it's very applicable for us today to learn from this book. But uh, in chapter 1, verse 16, the false teachers were accusing the disciples of making it all up. And we will be talking about that next Sunday. In chapter 2, verse 1, the false teachers were introducing destructive heresies and denying Jesus in chapter 2, verses 2, 13, 14, and 19, the false teachers were, were encouraging and practicing sexual immorality. Chapter 2, verse 14, the false teachers were filled with greed. One of the signs of a false teacher is they, they're after money. They're, 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 they're filled with greed and they're after money. In chapter 3, verse 15 through 16, the false teachers were uh, twisting scripture to their own desires. And then finally, in... Um, Chapter 3, this is only three chapters in this book. Um, the false teachers were mocking the return of Christ, and they were denying any future judgment. This whole entire epistle, Second Peter, is, is Peter uh, rebuking the false teachers and warning the Christians to stay away from unbiblical teaching. Peter, as you read this letter, a casual reading of this letter, uh, verse-by-verse study, you will see in this letter that Peter is very intense. He's very intense and very passionate 
and calling out the false teachers. And family, for us today, we have been given the precious word of God. And we have to defend it as faithful Christians. We hold to the word of God. We believe the word of God. And when something goes against the scriptures, we don't accept it. But before Peter lays out his defense of Christianity and defending the gospel against the false teachers, which actually begins in verse 16, which is where we'll start next Sunday. This morning, we're just going to lay out an introduction of the book of Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, where it's simply this. Peter lays out what salvation is. So the title of my message this morning is Salvation is Here. Salvation is here. If someone came up to you and asked you, what is the gospel? How, how do I know that I am saved? How would you explain it? My goal in teaching this morning is that as you leave here today, you know what salvation is. And that there's no doubt in your mind that you have salvation and that you know when that day comes and you step into eternity, you can have peace of mind in this life knowing I am saved. It's a simple principle that Peter lays out here in these opening verses of 2 Peter. So 2 Peter chapter 2, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 through 15 is an introduction to the book where he lays out salvation. And then next week, verse 16, uh, please read ahead, go home and study you'll see where he defends the faith. So let's, let's dive into it, family. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we look at what it says this morning, please open our hearts and help us to understand salvation has come. Salvation is here in the person of Jesus Christ. In your holy and precious name we pray. pray. Amen. Amen. Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 1 says... Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here in, in 2 Peter chapter 1 is what Peter says about himself. Peter says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. If you go back and look at 1 Peter's introduction, Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But in the uh, second epistle of Peter, he inserts, not only is he an apostle, but he is a bondservant. He is a bondservant. And that's very, very important to understand. That word bondservant is a doulos. It's a slave. Peter considered himself a slave to Jesus Christ. He was under complete, under the complete uh, authority and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a servant of God, and he was a servant to the body of Christ. I believe if Peter was alive here on earth today, he would be greatly offended at how the people have, have venerated him. If you were to go today to Rome, Italy, and visit St. Peter's Basilica, you would discover a huge bronze statue of Peter. This statue was built in the 12th century, and for the, past 800, uh, for the past 800 years, millions of pilgrims have filed into St. Peter's Basilica to visit the church, specifically to kiss 
and rub the toes, rub, rub their fingers across the toes of St. Peter. And after they kiss his toes or rub his toes, they ask for a special blessing. And because of the millions of toe rubs this statue has received, the right toes are worn down and smooth compared to the other foot. First off, just as, a, just as an observation on my part, that's quite disgusting. And that's just something I would not do. And if Peter was here, he, that, he would call that blasphemous. He'd be like, don't pay no homage to me. Pay homage to the Lord Jesus Christ. He would not be saying, look at me or touch my toes or, or anything like that. He would be pay homage to Christ. Trust in Christ. Give your worship to him. He would say, there's nothing special about me. Peter was just an ordinary dude, just like you and I, guys, who had a heart to serve the Lord. He made a lot of mistakes in life. He blew it. Peter had what we called foot-in-the-mouth syndrome. You know what that is? It's when you say things you shouldn't say. You know, he, he denied Christ. He, he did all kind of things. But at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry, what does Peter do to him at the beach? He restores him. He restores him. And Peter goes on to be a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Peter would not would say, man, look to Christ. Don't look to me. Salvation is not in St. Peter. Salvation is not in St. Paul. Salvation is not in, in anything but in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he continues in verse 1. He says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in this opening verse here, I, I don't want you to miss everything that's in verse 1. The first thing is Peter is establishing what salvation is. Okay? What is salvation? How do I know that I've experienced salvation? You know, that's the, that's the big room in the question for many Christians. We love talking about marriage, and we love talking about end times, and we love talking about all these other biblical theological subjects, but this is the most important subject, which is the salvation of your soul. Because when you leave this life, you will be gone for a very long time. And there's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. So what is salvation? Salvation is not trusting in water baptism. Water baptism is an ordinance. We do it because the scripture tells us to, to follow in. It's, it's an outward symbol of what's taking place on the inside. But water baptism uh, does not bring about salvation. Uh, we don't trust in the Lord's Supper. Jesus said in Luke twenty two nineteen. 19, he says, do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is reflecting on his sacrifice at the cross. That we're, we're called to do them. We're supposed to do them. We should do them. But they don't bring salvation. They don't bring salvation. We don't trust in our church attendance. You got perfect church attendance? Praise God. Keep it up. Keep up the good work, but your salvation is not in perfect church attendance or in how much money you give. It's not trusting in our good works. Look how holy I am. Look at all my good deeds. Isaiah says that our works are as filthy rags when it comes to the righteousness, uh, uh, when it comes to having the righteousness of God. Salvation is this, family. When you leave here today, please remember, this is what I want you to go home with. Salvation is is trusting in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's this place called heaven above 
where God the Father is and the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Is seated in his right hand as his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his glorified state. And he has nail holes in his hands, nail holes in his feet. He is the one who came to this earth and died on the cross, rose from the grave, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Salvation is you trusting in him, okay? Trusting, you trusting in him. If you could be saved by any of these works, what does that mean? That means that you could get credit, and that's not how it works. God gets all the credit and all the glory for salvation because it's nothing that you and I do. It's what Christ has done. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is the way, the truth, the life, and to give you eternal life. And he's seated at the right hand. And by you placing your faith in him and trust in him, salvation is a free gift. Let me repeat that. Salvation is a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. Okay? So Peter is establishing in this opening verses what salvation is. Man, get this straight. This will liberate you from feeling the weight of of religious works and having to try to live up to God's standard. You don't have to, you can't live up to God's standard. Jesus did it for you. That's what salvation is. Salvation is you being born again and trusting in Christ. And he, he does it all. The, the, the end of verse 1, let, let Peter speak for it. Not my words, let, let the word of God. The end of verse 1, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our righteousness. That is where we trust. That is where we hang our hat. Let's continue. Verse 2. Verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. You see, at salvation, I love this. I love this. Because before salvation, we're under judgment. We're under condemnation. We're under the guilt of our sin. But at salvation, when you trust in Christ, you experience, what does it say in verse 2? Grace and peace. But I want you to notice the phrase in verse 2. It says, grace and peace be multiplied. I love it that he inserted that word multiplied in there. Because what that means is that there's always more. There's always more. And God's grace and God's peace cannot be exalted. And that you can go deeper. Again, salvation is by trusting in Christ, believing in Jesus. He gives it all, okay? But then salvation You begin to grow. Some of us, we grow slowly. Some of us grow very fastly. But you begin to grow. You're going deeper. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. See, as we study the word, the word gets into our minds. It gets into our brains. And as we meditate on the word, it goes from our minds to our hearts. And we grow as Christians. I want to read to you um, this, this idea of grace and peace being multiplied. I'm, I'm really focusing on that word multiplied, uh, meaning we're going deeper. Uh, 
in the Valley of Vision, I want to read to you a Puritan prayer. In this Puritan prayer, the Puritan says, Lord, give me a deep repentance. Give me a deeper trust that I may lose myself and find myself in you. Give me a deeper knowledge of yourself as Savior, Master, Lord, and King. Give me a deeper power in prayer, more sweeter in your word, a steadfast grip on your truth. Give me a deeper holiness in words, thoughts, and actions. Quarry me deep, dear Lord, and then fill me to overflowing with living water. Family, this Puritan prayer right here, written several hundred years ago, this is uh, what grows, what comes from salvation. Is that you and I experience salvation, and then we go deeper. We go deeper in our love for God. We go deeper in our repentance. As you grow as a Christian, you will hate sin more and more. The deeper you go with God, the deeper you go into his word, the more you'll understand your wretchedness and the more you'll understand, Lord, please forgive me. Please cleanse me. Please wash me as I, as I grow. There's a deep repentance. That word repentance simply means to, to turn away from sin, to run from sin. There's a deeper trust. There's a deeper trust. You know, when we get saved, we have this childlike faith and we trust in Christ. But our faith should grow. It grows through trials. It grows through tribulations. It grows through difficult circumstances. When bad things happen in life, uh, our faith should grow because the situations, the bad situations and the things that happen, they should drive us to the Lord and drive us to the word. And it causes our faith to grow deeper, a deeper knowledge. How do we get a deeper knowledge? By doing what we're doing right now. Filling our brains with the word of God and praying and saying, Lord, let this word get from my mind into my heart. A deeper power in prayer. The more you press into God, the more you trust, the more you dig deep, the more fervent your prayers will be according to this Puritan prayer. And then, of course, he says there, the last one is uh, give me a deeper holiness. Again, salvation does not end the day you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It grows from there. A deeper trust, a deeper knowledge, a deeper repentance, a deeper prayer, and a, a deeper holiness. This is the salvation experience. And you and I as Christians, and I, I will lead the way in saying I've made this mistake before. We make the mistake when we think that we have arrived. When we think we got it all together, we arrived and we're there. No, no. You can go deeper. You can go deeper in your love for God. You can go deeper in your relationship with the Lord. That's what salvation is about. It's this all-consuming passion in your life to know the God who created you. And Lord, I'm coming after you with all of my heart. That's salvation. That's what salvation is. So it can be multiplied. That's my point here. Grace and peace, according to verse 2, it can be multiplied. You continue, you grow. Let's continue, verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Christ's salvation is complete, according to verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us, look at it, Everything. You know what everything means? Everything. 
everything pertaining to life and godliness. In other words, there, there, is, there will be no lacking in your spiritual walk. You will be complete. And how many of you guys know in our Christian walk, we want to be complete. We want to be completely filled. We want to be locked, cocked, ready to rock, ready to live for Christ, to live in the zone, to serve Christ, and you can be that in Christ because his salvation is complete. He gives us everything we need. And I, I'll just be straight up with you. I got saved in 1992, and all I can say is I've had a lot of trials. I've had a lot of tribulations. I've had a lot of suffering. I've had a lot of difficult times in this life. But you know what? God is faithful. God is faithful to take care of me and my family in every situation we faced. We've jumped, we've had to jump through hurdles and gone through difficult times, and, and I'm sure you have too, but hopefully this morning you can testify that God is faithful, that God is faithful, and he has given you everything. He's given you everything, verse 3, pertaining to life and godliness. Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, By these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Verse 4, the opening of it, he says, for by these. What is he talking about, for by these? He's talking about uh, previous verse, verse 3, talking about Christ's glory and Christ's excellence. By Jesus' glory and by his excellences, he has granted to us, verse 4, Precious and magnificent promises. What are those precious and magnificent promises I'd like to remind you of this morning? The one, first one, is you've been forgiven of your past. You have a new resurrected life. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He, he has given you a spirit-filled life. He's given you his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. And through all the things that we face, the promise that he has granted to us through the precious and magnificent promises of his glory and excellence, he's given us joy. He's given us strength. He's given us help. He's given us wisdom. He's, he's reached down to us in our darkest hour when really bad things happen. And he holds our heart in the palm of his hand. These are the precious and magnificent promises of the scriptures. And we need to hold on to these. People ask me, why do you serve Christ? I turn around and ask them, why don't you serve Christ? Because he is so good. He is so magnificent. He is so precious. And his words and his promises are precious and magnificent. The second half of verse 4, notice he says, so that by them, by those precious and magnificent promises, the things he's given us, that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Uh, again, th there's an address change at salvation, okay? There, there, there's a change of address when we get saved. Salvation is God giving you and me his Holy Spirit and his Spirit leading you away from the bondage of sin to freedom in Christ. I don't know about you, but the word bondage, I just don't like that word. But that's what we are. That's where we are when, we're set, when a person is separated from Christ. They're in bondage. And he wants to bring them out of that darkness into that glorious light into the freedom in Christ, to where he breaks the chains, away from, uh, verse 4, away from the corruption that is in the world. See, the world wants to pull us away from God. The world wants to drag you back into the lust of the flesh. 
The world wants to bring you back into darkness, but the Holy Spirit is pulling on your heart and saying, step into his marvelous light. Step into the glory of God. Step into his truth. Walk in his truth. There's nothing religious about this. This is called real life. Salvation in Christ. Again, I'm going to repeat my point from the opening of my sermon. My point to you this morning is your salvation is trusting in the person of Christ. But again, you're just getting on board the train. Hang on, because he's got a long ways to take you and I in our journey of serving him. Continue in verse 5. Let's, let's actually read verses 5 through 7. He says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. This is a really, the way Peter words this is very fascinating. He says, he, he repeats the phrases, uh, uh, in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. It's like he's building a ladder. And what that says to me about the Christian faith is you don't have it all together in the beginning. You don't have it all together. I didn't have it all together in the very beginning. But we're stepping up the ladder. We're moving. We're growing. And we're not perfect in all these, but we're growing, and these things are beginning in their infancy to grow in our life when we're a new Christian. And they'll grow the more and more you're faithful and continue to serve Christ. This is from the foundation, from the foundation of salvation, we grow in these items mentioned in verses five through seven. The first one there is moral excellence. Moral excellence. Now, this does not mean we are perfect. No one's perfect. Only Christ is perfect. You and I are not perfect. But there's a desire in our hearts to do the right thing. To do the right thing. To live above reproach. We're going in that direction. You know, no one's perfect. And he who says he's perfect without sin is a liar, the scripture says. But there's this spirit within us that says, you know what, I want to live right. I want to do the right thing. And that's the result of salvation. The next one is knowledge, growing in our understanding of Scripture and, and, and asking the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to teach us how to apply that knowledge. Again, at Calvary Chapel, we're not about just filling heads with knowledge. You know, it starts there. We need to understand God with our minds, but, but, but it needs to filter into our hearts and, and grow in our spiritual life. The next one there in verse 6 is self-control. You know, we need to discipline ourselves for godliness. We need to discipline ourselves. We need to be focused. We need to take God serious. We need to read his word. We need to pray daily and say, Lord, have your will in my life. Lord, please help me, God. By your Holy Spirit, help me to live a life dedicated to Christ. Learn the art of saying no to sinful lust. You face sinful lust. Pastor David faces sinful lust. Everybody here within the sound of my voice, if you're honest, we all face sinful lust. But we have to learn the art of saying no. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to fight it. I'm going to resist it. I'm going to call my Christian friend, my brother, my sister, my pastor, ask them to pray for me. I'm going to go read my Bible 
I'm going to go out to my car and have a word of prayer. But we got to have, we got to exercise self-control. We got to exercise self-control. Again, these are, he, he, he presents these in verses 5 through 7 as going up a ladder. The next one there is perseverance. Perseverance. What is perseverance? This is our, our lifelong commitment to Christ. This is our lifelong commitment to Christ. When a person serves Christ and, and, and you, you experience salvation, man, you say, you know what? I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in this till, till the trumpet sounds or till the Lord calls me home. There, there needs to be a spirit of persevering in serving Christ. That no matter what comes in this world, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says this, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let that truth sink in. And let that be your, the driving catalyst behind, behind perseverance and serving him for the long haul. We stay the course, as I like to say a lot. We're faithful to Christ. Perseverance doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you don't blow it along the way. But you know what? In your heart of hearts, you say, man, I've got this. And I'm going to serve Christ. The next, the final two in verses 5 through 7, godliness. Godliness is simply growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's, that's godliness. Is our lives by the, the work of the Holy Spirit, not in our own work, but by the work of the Spirit, transforming us and changing us and producing the fruit of godliness. And then finally there, he actually, there's two phrases there. Brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness and love. Again, this is the heartbeat of Christianity. This is the heartbeat of God, that we love one another. Jesus prayed for that, that we would love for one another, that we would be there for one another, that we would love people through the hard times, through the good times, and love people, okay? We got, we, number one, we love God, and second, we love people. And we love all people, people in the church, outside the church, regardless of their appearance, regardless of where they're at or what they're doing. <clears throat> we sh show all people love, the love of God in our hearts. We show them God's love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a sacrificial love that we're called to show all people. And again, if um, maybe you're a new believer this morning, focus on the Lord. And not that you try to produce these fruits, but ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, please develop these fruit in my life. Let it be led by the Spirit and not by your own will and motivation. Now cooperate with the Lord, but, but let him grow his fruit in your life. This is, this is Peter's. You know, we, we have uh, Paul's fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. But so here we have Peter's list of the fruit of the Spirit in 2 Peter, verses 5 through 7. Let's continue, verse 8. For by these qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those fruit that we just talked about, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness, when we exercise and these gifts are in operation in our life, we need to understand that this is how God uses us. These are the tools that God uses in our life to help other people. 
This is the man or the, the man or woman God uses in his kingdom. When I see a brother who's doing well in his godliness and his perseverance, if I'm struggling, I'm going to go to him and say, hey, brother, can you help me out? Can you hold me accountable? Can you pray for me? Can we spend some time in the word together? It's these qualities that we see within the body that we ask leaders to step up and be examples um, for other believers. But the, these people, they, they do not walk after the flesh, but they, they are led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, he says, For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. You know, a lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll come to the altar or they'll pray a sinner's prayer. They'll invite Christ into life. They'll put their trust in Christ, and then they leave. Then they walk out the door, and they think, okay, I've checked that box, and, and, and I'm good. But what he's saying here, the, and, 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 they, and what they do is they fail to grow in these attributes of moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness. They fail to grow in these. And, and what he's saying here in verse 9 that is, is saying for the believer who does not walk in these things, brother or sister, you're missing the big picture. You're missing the big picture. Christ died to forgive you of your sin and to come into your life so that not only you could be set for eternity, but so that he could point you in a new direction in this life and be used mightily by him. He says, you have forgotten his purification from his former sins. In other words, you have forgotten this believer that he's talking about in verse 9. They have forgotten the power of the cross. They have forgotten the power displayed at the cross to forgive them of all their sins. See, when you come face to face with the cross that Jesus died and you understand that he paid the price, that he bore the wrath of God for our sins, it, 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 it breaks our hearts and it causes us to repent, to think that God gave his only begotten son God, Jesus was perfect. Jesus did not need forgiveness. He didn't need forgiveness. He was and is and possessed the perfect righteousness of God. Who needed righteousness was you and I. And when we understand that, that should humble our hearts when we understand the great sacrifice. And it gives us the ability to say no to sin. Verse 10, verse 10 says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. You know, there's a, there's a responsibility on the part of the believer. There's a responsibility on the part of the believer. And you and I should examine ourselves. You ever heard that old saying, oh, never question your salvation? Never question your salvation. Never, never think about it. You know, just never question it. That's not what the scripture says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say we should never question our salvation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul says this. Test yourselves. See if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. Now, we don't examine ourselves every day or every month. But there should be seasons of our life as the Lord leads us, that we need to examine ourselves. And we need to say, hey, you know what? Am I trusting in Christ? You know, because the temptation is to trust in those other things, to trust in water baptism, 
to trust in the Lord's Supper, to look at your perfect church attendance, or look at how much money you're given, or look at all the Christian deeds. It's so tempting as a believer to slip into those, okay? I've, I've slipped into it before. Man, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all the right things. I'm going to church. I'm taking care of my family. I'm doing all those things. And all those things are very good. But I, but I re-examine myself, and I recommit myself to saying, Lord Jesus, those are all good works, and I'm thankful that you're doing those in my life. But my salvation is in you. My salvation is in you, Lord Jesus. You, the Son of the living God, seated at the right hand of the Father, the one who came to this world, who lived a, uh, born of a virgin, lived a sinless, perfect life, and suffered and died on the cross. My salvation is in you. But there's a responsibility. We need to examine ourselves. We need to have a little fruit examination and ask ourselves, okay, am I serving Christ? Am I walking in the truth? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that as a believer. I do it, and I hope you will too. Verse 11, he says, For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Notice he says there in verse 11, For in this way, what way? What we've talked about in the previous 10 verses about salvation being in Christ. Salvation is by faith. Okay? Salvation is by faith. But that faith has an object, okay? It's not just believing salvation, as in just believing in, you know, being delivered and forgiven. But that faith has an object, and that object is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard an acronym this week, and I love it. I created a slide for it. Uh, salvation is by faith. And the acronym is forsaking all, I trust in him. That's what I want you to leave here with today, is letting your hearts be settled, letting your minds be at peace, knowing that you have forsaken all. You have forsaken all religious duties as far as trusting in them for salvation. You've forsaken this world. You have forsaken everything for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you trust in him. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's forsaking all. It's putting him at the top. Doesn't mean we neglect our family or neglect our jobs or the other things, but he is the most important thing in our life. That's what is talking. That's what that is in this way the entrance of the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. God will do everything in this life to lead you and guide you and draw you to himself. Okay? Whether it's through a school teacher or, or through a co-worker or through a billboard or through a pastor, God is intimately involved in this world. He's intimately involved in your life. And you just need to open up your eyes and say, Lord, let me see how you are calling me to yourself. Man, I, I, love, I fish a lot. I love to fish on Lake Murray. And there's nothing better than sitting on Lake Murray, striper fishing, which I do a lot of, and watching that sun come up and watching that sun break the, the, the lake line or being out there in the evening, which I might go out there this evening or tomorrow evening and drop a line. But seeing that, that beautiful sun rising or setting and seeing all the clouds and seeing all the heavens. And as I look at it, the beauty of creation, it takes my mind to Psalms 19 where it says, 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night unto night they display knowledge. And now, now look at it as I'm out there fishing. God is just screaming at me. Not screaming at me. You know, you know what I'm saying. He's just out there saying, look at my beauty. Look at my glory. Look at what I've done for you. I've given you this world to live in. Everything points us to Christ. Science points us to Christ. When we look at the human body, DNA, human reproduction, we look at life, everything, it points people to God. It points people to God. Now, how did I get there from this verse? Oh, okay, I was talking about at the end of verse 11 where it says, Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. That's what I was talking about. He, he, will, he will work his way, man, into your life. He, he will remind people, not only you, but the unsaved, the saved, all people of his glory. Now, some people deny that. And some people reject that. But that's to their folly. Verse 12, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. And I have been, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. You know, as I was preparing this message, you know, salvation, that's, for many Christians, that's a fundamental foundation. That's an elementary teaching. That's a, oh, I understand that, Pastor. I got that. But when I read verse 12, and I hear Peter writing to these Christians in the first century, therefore I'll, I will always be ready to remind you, that gave me some encouragement this week as I was preparing to teach this message. Hey, remind the saints of what salvation is. Remind them. We need to be reminded. We need to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. We need to remind ourselves of the greatness of God. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel. You know who's preached the gospel to me more than anybody in this world? Myself. Myself. In my struggles. In my flesh. When, I, when I'm going through difficult times. I, I preach the gospel to myself. And we need to do that. We need to remind each other. We need to remind each other of these great and wonderful truths. Because the temptation is to slide off into religion. Or slide off into tradition. Or, or doing our own thing. We need to be reminded of our relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. We need to re be reminded that your standing before God is not based on you being in church this morning. Or how much money or all the things that we just talked about. Your standing before God is based on the one seated at his right hand. And he gets all the glory. And he's going to use the word again. Look at verse 13. He's going to use that word remind again. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Again, he uses this phrase to stir you up by way of reminder. We need to remind our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering, who are going through difficult times, who are going through trying times. We need to remind ourselves that it's, it's, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's him. It, it's, it's him, the very one who was crucified, that, that that's where our salvation is. And Peter is saying here, as long as I'm on this earth, I'm going to remind you. That makes me think of my grandfather and another uncle I had. Every time I went to go see my grandparents, this little heathen, wretched sinner living in darkness 
would go spend the weekend with my grandparents, and every single weekend they would preach the gospel to me. They would remind me of the love of God. They would remind me of the cross. And I was a, I was a little rebel. I, I was a little rebel sinner, man. Grandma would be on one side of the house. I'd turn the TV to MTV, be rocking out the MTV. As soon as I hear Grandma coming down the hallway, I'd turn it real quick back to the Price is Right or whatever. <laughs> and, um, but she'd always be reminding me. You know, before she got in my car, I'd, I'd hide all my heavy metal music and all my ungodly stuff. You know, and I hid many things from her. But throughout their whole life, they always reminded me, even though I wasn't responding. I didn't, I didn't get saved till I was 22 years old. But throughout all those teenage years, my grandparents kept reminding me. And sometimes as parents and as grandparents, we have a tendency to think they've heard it. They've heard it enough. I've told them 20 times. Well, tell them 21 times. And then remind them in 22 times or 23 times. Don't, don't browbeat but lovingly encourage along the way and remind them of who God is. Very important. Verse 14, he says, Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. When Peter wrote this letter, Peter is writing from Rome around 64 AD. There's been a major persecution. He's been incarcerated and he knows that his time is short. He's likely in chains for the gospel, and he knows that he's going to die. In his dying hours, he's encouraging the saints to put their faith in Christ, to trust in him for salvation. It's interesting. Uh, these are the last recorded words of Peter, Second Peter, that we'll be studying here over the next couple of months. But church tradition tells us that... Uh, Crucifixion was a way of uh, killing in the first century. And they went to crucify St. Peter. And he said to them, and I quote from the early church fathers, he said, I am not worthy to die in the same manner as Christ. Please crucify me upside down. And, and the Roman authorities in, in that fall of 64 AD, they crucified Peter on an upside-down cross at his last request. He said, my earthly dwelling is imminent. In other words, he knew he was fixing to go home to be with the Lord. There is no such thing. There is no soul sleep. You know, the Bible says in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's another wonderful, great encouragement from the scriptures. Is the moment we breathe our last breath, it's, it's time to graduate. It's time to graduate and stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one that we all trust in. Verse 15, we'll close with, and I will, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Family, as you leave church this morning, remember, as a friendly reminder, is a pastoral reminder to his people that salvation is in Christ. Trust in him. Don't trust in our works. Now, we need to be rich in good works. You need to be water baptized. You need to partake of the Lord's Supper. You need to serve in the local church. You need to help your neighbor. You need to be rich in good works. But again, those are just byproducts of trusting in Christ for salvation. 
Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this awesome word that you've given us this morning in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. And Father, I pray that as, as Peter did to those Christians, Lord, that we will be reminded this morning that our salvation is trusting in you, Lord. It's not by our good works, not by what we do or what we don't do, but it's by you, Lord. Help us to rest in that. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray.